Okay, we are looking at Abraham and Sarah today, and next week, obviously, we're going to look at Isaac and Rebecca, and then we're going to look at Isaac and uh, or Jacob and Leah and Rachel and his two concubines. But so today, we're going to look at uh, Abraham and Sarah. We've going back to when we studied Genesis, we looked at uh, chapter twelve. So we're going to kind of look at that briefly again. I can shoot you that commentary. Um, for your own study separately, but we're, we're going to kind of peruse that fairly quickly and then go on to other stories regarding them. So, if y'all can turn to your turn your Bibles to chapter 12. And we're just going to be looking at the first few verses. This is... Uh, God calling Abram out of his native country, really from his father's house. Now we'll look at verses 7 through 20 as well. You there? All right. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in, all, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So real quickly, Abram was blessed to become a blessing. So see, he says, uh, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Uh, I will bless those who bless you, and I will cur curse those who curse you, or, or cur curse him who curses you. So he's the father of the faith, and so basically in, bless in blessing Abram, he in turn blesses his uh, progeny in the faith. Does that make sense? He blesses Abram to be a blessing, not only to the faithful, but to the world as well. Just like we're supposed to be the light to the world. Blessing us, he blesses us to be a blessing to the world, to show the light of Christ to the world. Same thing is going on to, uh, to Abram. But this is his first call, and he's calling him out of his father's house. Remember, that's the head of the household first, and then once he's married, you know, he leaves his uh, father and mother and then cleaves to his wife. Uh, Sarah was his sister, probably his half-sister. Again, we have to understand the, the population of the world at that time was very small. So, you know, you did, you did have interrelations uh, in that way, which became illegal in, by the time Moses came because you had a ton of people by then. But anyway, Sarah is his sister, which is going to play a part in the, in the uh, account that we look at in Egypt. However, he's promised a land as well, which is a huge deal. Like for, for men, for possessions, for ownership, every man and woman desires to own land, to possess a land, to possess a space that is theirs to, to tend to and to care for, but also to live and to expand. Remember, even God says, uh, um, you know, flourish and multiply, multiply and fill the earth. And that's what, that's what he does in and through his people. But remember, he scattered everybody throughout the world and he scattered the church. Okay, let's go ahead and move to seven, uh, verses 7 through 20. So 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, of, on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. So real quickly, the south is the Negev. So basically... Here's Ur. When he calls him out of Ur, he goes to Haran. Then he calls him out of Haran, and he, and he travels south, south 
uh, word. This is called a Negev down here in the south. But so he's already traveling down this way before we get to this story. That, that was just to kind of set it up. So let's go ahead and proceed through verse 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to, his, to Sarah, Sarai, his wife, uh, indeed, I know you are a beautiful, beautiful countenance. Therefore, therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may, that it may be well from, with me for your sake, that I may live uh, because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt, and the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman ta was taken to Pharaoh's house. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away uh, with his wife and all he had. So this is one of uh, Abram's falls. This is one of Abram's uh, brief lapses in faith. This is early in his faith. He has just been called out and he's, and he's uh, pilgrimaging toward the south and then a big famine hits and he's still very young in the faith. He should have just trusted in God but he continues on to go to Egypt because that's where there was a huge civilization and he knows you know they'll, they'll have sustenance there but he's setting it up to where they lie. Now, it's, a, it's kind of a white lie because she is his sister, right? Sarai is his sister, so he's telling her to tell them, uh, you know, she's, you know, you're my sister. But also, he's putting her in a very precarious and potentially dangerous position. This is his wife, and he knows that once they see her and that she's, uh, and that she's very beautiful, they're going to want to have her, which is exactly what happens. So... Even though she, you know, acquiesces and tells them that uh, she is his sister, Pharaoh takes her in. Now we're not said, we're not told whether or not they had relations, but chances are not, because eventually they, uh, God sends plagues on his household, and Pharaoh knows that the reason is because of Abram, and somehow God must have revealed to him that she is his sister, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh, right, rightly says. You know, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Pharaoh is getting all these plagues based on something he didn't know. And despite uh, um, Abram's weakness in the faith, God uses this to bless him. This is where Abram first gets very rich, where the doo -doo, uh, he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, male donkeys and camels. Pharaoh loads him up, and when he sends him out, he sends him, he, they sent him away with his wife and all he had. So he let him keep all that stuff, probably because he, he had great fear because of all these plagues. He knows the God of Abraham, or Abram, at that point, at that time he's still named Abram, the God of Abram is the true and powerful God who's, who's judged me even based on something I didn't know. He's judged me on my ignorance. And let's go back to Paul on Mars Hill. The ignorance isn't an excuse, but he once he you know gains the the knowledge from God, then he acts accordingly, and you know he sends him away, lets him keep all his stuff. But Abram gets rich 
really on the back of his faithlessness and on the front of God's abundant faithfulness. So we don't want to go wayward, right? We don't want to stumble in the faith or anything, but we also have to understand our God is the ultimate faithful one, okay? That doesn't give us license to fall and to stumble, but it does give us comfort. It ought to comfort us because we'll stumble along the way. Abram stumbled, and like I've said, all the men in the Bible stumble except for Christ, but God is always there to lift us back up, and he uses what he meant for evil somewhat and uses it for, for his good. Okay, let's go to, let's consider chapter 16. So let's go to 16, because we didn't get to talk about Hagar much. And we're going to read through the whole chapter, and we're just going to talk about it briefly. We're not expositing every single verse. We are looking at the story and account of Abraham and Sarah. Okay, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, which is said that in the, the uh, 12th chapter as well. I forgot to show you that. Anyway, and she had an Egyptian uh, maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, Hagar uh, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram uh, had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. Uh, I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sar Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, uh, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roi. Uh, observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So the first, so Sarai, Sarai, Sarai and Abram, so Abram's been promised to, to bear a seed, and Sarai is, is barren, and she, they knew she was barren even when they got married. That was early in the chapter 12. I neglected to show that, but she was, she was barren for all that time. Even at this point, he's 80, so she's right around 70. She was like 9 to 10 years younger than he was, but he's 80 years old at this point. So they're getting up there in age, right? And Sarai's like, look, you know, I, we you know, I trust in God, but I think something needs to be done here. I mean, I think maybe it's one of those things like, you know, God has promised everything, but he's waiting on us to, to act upon his promise. It's the thing that you hear a bunch of Christians say, you know, he'll bless you if you try to bless yourself kind of a thing. If you, your, your good intentions and everything, he'll work out. That's not always the case. God had promised a, a, a seed. Uh, he had promised 
um, uh, children from Abram, and he and he's and he knows his only wife is Sarai. Back then, though, in these cases when the woman is barren, and this would be a whole big social deal. She would be kind of an outcast. She would be considered an outcast. We briefly talked about that, but she's she wants. You know, her, her intention is to fulfill God's promise, to get, you know, Abram was promised to see. She wasn't promised anything. So, you know, she uses her logic and, and offers uh, Abram her maid. Now, Abram, as the head of the house, should have said no. Abram is, Sarai calls him Lord, which we're, we're going to look at uh, after a while. But see, and, but, but he also acquiesced to her. All right. That means he, he is her Lord. He is the head of the household. And as the head of the household, he should have said, no, no, you're my wife. We trust in God. God promised. And no, we wait on him. I will wait on him. And if he says, go into Hagar and this is the plan, then that's what we'll do. But I haven't heard that. I've told, I've heard to get out of your house and out of your father's house and I will, I will give you a land and all the rest. But I haven't heard to go into your maidservant, into Hagar. But, so he does, he acquiesces. Again, another fall, really from both of them. Let's notice that, really from both of them. And then, once she conceives, so she's pregnant, Hagar becomes pregnant, she starts despising Sarai, her master. Because now, she gets, she gets a little haughty, probably. You know, she's, now she's like, ooh, I'm gonna bear the heir. You know, my son is gonna be the heir. Of, of this family and this seed, this promise will continue through my son. And, and again, you have to understand this and appreciate the social aspect there where Sarai would be considered less than. For some reason, God is cursing her with her barrenness. That's how they saw it. That's how they saw it. If, if, you, if you were barren, if you were not able to produce children, it was because God was cursing you. It's because something evil you did. You see that in Job, when he's uh, judged and, and, and afflicted, uh, all of his friends think it's because of some sin he hasn't, you know, uh, uh, confessed. Uh, but anyway, so so she becomes despised, and Sarai gets upset, and she says, "My wrong be upon you." She's saying basically what I, you know, the the effect, basically with the the effect of what I did be upon you. You should have said no. Now this is wrong. This is wrong. This is this is turning and and taking the accusation where the guilt is in the one person and they shift it. She's shifting the blame onto Abram. This is kind of like Adam and Eve at the fall where God comes to Adam and says, you know, what is this you have done? And he says, the woman you, whom you've given me, you know, she told me to take it. And she's doing kind of the same thing. You know, my, my wrong be on you. This is your fault ultimately. Yeah, maybe... I conceived this whole thing, but you acquiesced. The promise is to you. So she's, it's kind of right, but you have to understand that's sinful as well. That's her pride. That's her, that's her uh, agitation. That's her frustration coming out onto her husband. And Abram um, was rather uh, gentle with her. Um, so my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So again, she's saying, you know, yeah, maybe it was my, my bad in, in, in recommending it, but you shouldn't have acquiesced. You're the one who's hearing from God. So the Lord judge between you and me. Again, she's trying to cast off the blame and really uh, put it on to Abram. 
so Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Basically, this is your handmaid. This isn't right of him either. Okay? Uh, do, do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, so Sarai, again, all of that animosity, all of that is, is mustering in her and it's gaining its, its course in her. Abram should have told her, you know, she is your maid, but, but be gentle with her. Yeah, maybe we were wrong in this. Maybe I was wrong in this. Don't take it out on her. That's how, that's how it should have been dealt with. But Sarai is frustrated. She's frustrated that she can't uh, bear a child. And now she's frustrated that uh, Abram's heir is going to be coming through her handmaiden. Remember when uh, we had looked at chapter 15. We skipped 15 because we've already looked at it. But remember um, when, um, when God is promising uh, Abram that, that he's going to have a seed, uh, that, that Abram is less inclined to believe. You know, he's, he's, he says... How, how will I know this? Remember, he says, how will I know this? You know, you, the, the, my heir right now is Eleazar. Remember, he was his servant. And, you know, so now it's Sarai who's seeing it that way. She's not going to have an offspring, and so the blessing is going to go through her handmaid. Abram at first thought it was going to be through Eleazar, his servant, but, and now Sarai's having the same problem. And she's taken out on Hagar, though. Very wrong, very unjust and cruel. So she flees. And then the angel of the Lord, God, the angel of the Lord, remember we've talked about how the angel of the Lord is actually a manifestation. Uh, it's, it's called a theophany. A theophany is when God shows himself kind of physically in some sort of man, physical form. We're going to see that again with the three men who come to Abram. We're going to finally kind of look at that somewhat again in passing. This is kind of uh, passing through these accounts. But So she takes off. Hagar uh, takes off. And the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Again, the angel of the Lord knows these things. He asks these questions to, to open the person up within their own assumptions. Where, do you, where have you come from? She knows where she came from. Where are you going? She has no idea where she's going. She knows where she's come from, but she doesn't know where she's going. Real brief, little, but something to think about. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. So she knows where she's coming from. She still doesn't know where she's going. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord said, said to her, return to your mistress. So this is where you're going and submit yourself under her hand. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. So basically he's kind of given the same promise that he had given to Abram. So even though Ishmael is not the son of the promise, which we'll briefly look at, uh, but he's not the son of the promise, God is still going to be faithful to even Abram's and, and uh, Sarai's sin because blessing, I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you. Uh, Hagar still serving her master Sarai and Abram. And so basically the angel saying, return to, return to her and I will, I will uh, multiply uh, your offspring. Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Just so you know, I mean, this kind of sounds like uh, the angel to Mary, right? Right? Uh, Behold, you're with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. A lot of the promises, and we have to understand, we have to see this, reflect the promise of the Messiah. Uh, when, when, uh, God comes, when, when Helen is pregnant with Samuel, she sings a song that's very, very close to Mary's Magnificent. There are a lot of, um, you know, uh, parallels within the Bible, and this is one. 
even to this Egyptian handmaiden. God is faithful. That's the point. Um, and so he should be a wild man, and he, he becomes a hunter. Uh, but um, so, And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. He ends up having 12 sons as well. We're not going to talk about that, but he has 12 sons. So Ishmael and Isaac are, are uh, Abraham's two sons. Interestingly, the Islam, this is where Islam and Judaism and Christianity break. Because they see Abram as the father as well. But basically they say the promise continued under Ishmael not Isaac. That's one of the big uh, points of contention. Um, but, okay. Ishmael means uh, God hears, by the way. Okay, so let's go to, briefly, let's look at chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 15 through 22, which says, uh, then God said to Abram, to Abraham, this is, by now he's changed his uh, name, now he's about to change uh, Sarai's. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abram fe Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Um, then God said, No, Sarah, your wife. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and, now, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. So, God is now promising that this is, first of all, change your wife's name to Sarah. I just changed yours from Abram to Abraham, and we've talked about those names. But now Sarah should be called, uh, Sarai should be called Sarah, um, and, and, and you were going to have a son through her. And he laughs. That's going to be important because then she laughs. Isaac means laughter. So the, these, the, these little glimpses of laughter, because, but you have to understand this laughter is is not really a scornful la laughter. It's just one of complete disbelief. It's, it's like, so, um, so uh, I will bless her and give you a son by her, then I'll bless her. And then Abram fell on his, uh, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. So he's worshiping, but he's laughing. Uh, and said in, his, said in his heart, he didn't say it aloud. Uh, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and Sarah who's 90 uh, years old bear a child? Oh, and then he says, that can't be. Oh, that Ishmael <laughs> lived before you. Uh, this can't be the case. You know, so let's just continue with our plan. I like our plan. <laughs> you know, I like this plan, having Ishmael. This is, he loves Ishmael. You know, Ishmael is his son. You know, and by now he's about 13 years old, roughly. I think right now he's 12, 13 years old. But, so he loves Ishmael. He cares about Ishmael. And God says, no, Sarah, your wife, is going to bear you a son. You should call his name Isaac. Again, that means laughter. I'll establish my covenant with him and so forth. Okay, so then we'll move to chapter 18. So, uh, then, then which, to 15. Okay, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre. So the Lord appeared to him as he was sitting in the tent, tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to, to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. 
After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, uh, After I have grown old, shall I have, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I sh- shall, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So this is where those three men we've talked about. And again, this, this is a much more clear theophany. It says, The Lord appeared to, to Abram to Abraham, and then his three men. Interestingly, kind of a glimpse into the Trinity, kind of a a slight theophany into really the Trinity, but because he even, he calls the three men by one name. So either the one was clear leader, so maybe it was, maybe it was a theophany of Christ and two angels, maybe Michael and Gabriel, but I see more of a depiction in the Trinity, God coming down in three. Ultimately, two end up going to Sodom to destroy it. So one of them might have been the lead one. That's who he's talking to. Anyway, um, so they come and they're visiting him on their way to Sodom first. But they stop by his, the Lord's servant to, to just, again, reiterate and declare that Sarah is going to have a, a child. At this time, at this appointed time, I will return to you and she shall bear a son. God is doing this. God is, God is causing her conception and, and Isaac to come. So he's coming to promise, and, and uh, Abram goes and prepares a meal and everything, uh, and very quickly gets the, the, the calf and, and takes them all to them. We are going to have to consider this more another time, because again, re- re- today we're briefly just looking at this, this account for Abraham and Sarah. So Sarah laughs within herself, just like Abraham did. Abraham didn't deny it, but she did. Again, that goes back to even getting that glimpse of who Sarah is. You know, she's, she's a mother of the faith, but she's not perfect. You know, and she denies laughing because she's afraid. She's rightly afraid. So when we're convicted of sin, we should be rightly afraid. To a, to a certain extent, but not to the extent that we don't confess it. And once the Holy Spirit convicts us of it, to suppress it and say, no, I didn't laugh. Or no, I didn't do this. As if, as if he doesn't know everything anyway. You know, just a foolish thing on Sarah's account. But again, this is, these are the people who we're talking about. These are, these are faithful people. And God is being faithful despite these peccadillos sometimes, these stumblings, these, and sometimes even uh, grand sins, but God is faithful. Okay, so let's jump to chapter 21. This will be the last one we look at before we look at uh, what Hebrews says about them 
very briefly. Uh, okay, so verses 1 through 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, just like he had told her. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, just like he had told her, even when she had, you know, <laughs> argued that she hadn't laughed. For Sarah uh, conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time at which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She's come to faith. Okay. Who, uh, she also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that... Let's quickly just stop there real quickly. So Sarah now knows. Sarah knows, and now her laughter is a joyful laughter. Now, now she can't help. It's a gleeful laughter. Think about, like, when you see the tre tremendous blessing, when you... Especially when you know God is doing something tremendous, it kind of makes you just chuckle like, wow, he's just showing off. That's incredible. It's a, it's a joyful, it's a glee, it's a, it's a really pure laughter. It's a great and, and glorious um, rejoicing, really, that comes out in laughter. Because she's basically, wow, he, I can't believe it. this is insane. He's 100 years old. My Lord is 100 years old. And uh, I'm 90 and yeah, he fulfilled. I laughed, and I still didn't. I still had trouble believing it. But here, here we are with a son. I'm only left to just laugh at the reality that is taking place, at the miracle that God has done this, and and the rest of the world will laugh with, and all who hear will laugh with me, in joy and and rejoicing. Um, okay, verse eight. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah uh, saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, sco Abraham scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman uh, shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Uh, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation for the son of the bondwoman, because she is your seed, uh, or he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread, took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance about of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of, out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the, from the land of Egypt. Remember, she was from Egypt. Briefly, so first, so uh, Isaac is weaned. So he's no longer being nursed. He's weaned, and this is a cause for celebration back then. In that culture, it's a great cause of celebration. So Abraham, 
makes a huge feast to celebrate. And, th and during that, uh, Sarah saw uh, Ishmael laughing, uh, uh, yeah, whom she had born, right, scoffing, which really means laughing. It can mean a bunch of different things. So it, it indicates what she was seeing. She might, we don't know. A lot is left to imagine. It could have very well have been that he was laughing with, the, with this child. He, this is his little brother, and he's laughing. He's being silly. You know, these, this little boy is just kind of playing with him. And, and Sarah didn't like that because, you know, now she's being protective. Now she's being overprotective of her heir, you know. And so she sees whether it was malicious or not. It could have been. Maybe he was scoffing. There's nothing to suggest that later on in his life or any other time. So I'm left to imagine that Sarah saw something that actually wasn't there. She looked into it more than it was actually there. I think Ishmael, I, I surmise, again, this, this is conjecture. It's not written in stone one way or the other, but it's my conjecture. He was just playing with the lad, and Sarah had a problem with that because now the promise is fulfilled. Now she has no need of Ishmael at all, and now she wants to get rid of, of Hagar and Ishmael. That's not good. Um, so she told Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son. Now she's not saying my wrong be upon you. You know, now, you know, what will you have, you know, now, you know, decide, determine what happens. Now she's demanding him. Cast out this bondwoman, you know, uh, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. See, now she's like, no, he's not even going to share. This is the heir. And so just cast him out. We're, this was a mistake. Just let's get rid of the mistake. <laughs> and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. So remember where he should have uh, defended Hagar in the, in, the, in the first instance when she conceived uh, Ishmael. Now he is. He is protecting. His faith is increasing even more. He, and he's, he's pretty solid in the faith now. And the thing is very displeasing to him. Again, though, he loves Ishmael. He's his son. You know, and and he's and he's an archer, so he's he's you know he's he's a physical lad. He's doing all this stuff. He's proud of Ishmael. He's very pleased with Ishmael. But and so this thing is very displeasing to him. By this time, Ishmael's about fourteen years old. Imagine you have to send off your fourteen-year-old son because, you know, of this thing that you did. You know, the thing is very displeasing to him. It's very unjust. He doesn't care for that. And he, and so at first he says no. First he says no, but then God comes to him and says, uh, um, do not let it be displeasing in your, uh, in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. So even for Hagar, he cared because of Hagar as well. Whatever Sarah uh, has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. So God is even saying, look, I, I understand your, your consternation and your fear for him and for their well-being, but... I promised you an heir, and and through Isaac is your you know is the promise called is this covenant going to be called? So listen to Sarah. You shouldn't have listened to her in the first place. So now listen to her. Send send them away, and and uh, I'll take care of him. He even says, uh, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham woke, rose up, and in this other part, we're just going to have to wait for another time. That is a huge, because we're looking specifically at Abraham and, and Sarah, so what happens with Hagar and Ishmael 
we're just going to have to wait for another time. This is a huge narrative. It's kind of a, it's really beautiful narrative, but Hagar basically thinks Ishmael's going to die. She goes away from him so she doesn't have to watch him die, and then God comes. But it's a very surreal, very sweet, uh, very scary uh, episode, but that's something we're going to have to look at another time, God willing. In Hebrews, so in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about, it talks about Abraham throughout, but in in chapter 11, it's kind of the hall of the faith. And so the writer talks about a bunch of people, specifically in the Old Testament, and how their faith was shown. And the way he uses Abraham and Sarah is pretty interesting. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which uh, he would receive as an inheritance from Haran to Canaan. Uh, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Remember, he was just traveling toward the south. Like, I don't know. When he told me to go, I'm going. <laughs> uh, by faith, he dwelt in the land uh, of promise as in a foreign country. Remember, he was, he was uh, a sojourner. You know, he was kind of a, a wayfaring stranger. He's a warfarer. He's kind of just a journeyman. Not, he never had a home. So he was promised a land, and he never actually had a land. The only piece of, we talked about this, but the only piece of ground he actually owned was his burial place. He bought, once Sarah died, he bought a cave and, and laid her in it. Uh, and then later he's buried there. Later Isaac is buried there with Rebekah and Jacob with Leah, his first wife, which we'll get to later on. But the only plot of land he actually owned is his burial place. So, um, so, but he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. So it's the land of promise. This is the, the land that, he, that God had promised him. But ultimately, it's still a foreign country to him in practicality. Uh, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him of the same promise. Isaac and Jacob, remember, we talked about that too, and we're going to see them in the next couple of weeks. The heirs with him of the same promise, it's the same promise, the same promise that he gave to Abraham, is passed down to Isaac, passed down to Jacob, and passes down to us. <laughs> well, until Christ, and that promise is fulfilled, and so it still carries over. Uh, uh, yeah, for he waited for the city which has foundations, city of God, uh, whose builder and maker is God. Ultimately, again, the land of promise that's what the Jews, remember we kept on seeing that the Jews thought that the land, the land is sacred because God has promised the land. And, and, and this is a double kind of promise fulfilled in a piece of dirt on the eastern side of the Mediterranean on a block of land, but ultimately has this full, the full fulfillment in heaven, in the city of God, in the great paradise he's prepared for his children. This promise of the seed to come is pointing there to eternity. It find, that's why the kingdom of heaven starts here, but is fulfilled, is finally realized, ultimately, on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. So it's interesting. By, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. So it's not really talking about the faith of Sarah. It's talking about the faithfulness of God in Sarah. Sarah's faith is based on, and in Abraham's faith, all of our faith is based on God's faithfulness. So by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to, in, to conceive seed. God gave her strength to conceive a seed. It wasn't, it wasn't like she mustered up her faith. It was like, oh, now I'm strong. No, he gave her faith. He gave her strength to conceive uh, the child when she was 90 years old. And she bore a child when she was past the age, well past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. See? 
but we saw that she had actually really doubted. Right? Right? So, but again, he's faithful. He's ultimately faithful. She did have hope. So in that sense, she trusted. But it was a very weak uh, faith. Okay? So that faith did not cause her strength. It's his faithfulness and it's his strength. Okay, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, Abraham, uh, uh, were, bo- uh, were born many of, uh, as the stars of the sky in multitude, which is what uh, he had promised, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore, which is another thing he promised, which is really the dust, but his, his heir, his people, his inheritance, his offspring is ultimately now all the children of the faith. He's called the father of the faith because by when he trusted in God, God counted to him righteousness when he saw his faith. His faith was accounted to him as righteousness. It's the same thing for us. Our, our righteousness is but filthy rags. It's only our faith. It's only our Christ who makes us righteous. Same thing with Abraham. Same thing with all the sons and daughters of the faith through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, until today, until eternity. This is a very short glimpse of the story of Abraham and Sarah, who had their stumblings, who had their, who had their stumbles. But again, ultimately, what we are going to see throughout this series, it's God's faithfulness pouring down into His people through all these different examples. I, you know, we we see the faith of Abraham, we see the strength of Abraham, we see some faith in Sarah, and and we see these we can see these people as examples of the faith but ultimately our our main focus what we need to pay most attention to is the god of these people is the god of the faith and the faithfulness the abundant faithfulness of our god okay and thereby that is the only origin of our own faith okay all right any questions no questions all right Let's pray. Father, I thank you in your precious and holy word. You have given us men and women whereby to learn from and to see your gracious hand that we might have hope for our own, that we might see the stumbling and the bumbling of men and women and might not cast ourselves too lowly. But God, when we do cast ourselves low, we pray you're there always to lift us high to yourself, for you are ever faithful. You are God of the faith. Give us the faith to magnify your name. Give us trust and assurance your salvation and your ever providing hand. It's in your son's name we ask. Amen. Amen. Cameraman, will you?